So, who wants to talk about hate this morning? I mean, how do you make that transition, right? Like, God's holy and sweet and he's doing something and the topic is hate today. Okay. Um, in, a, in, a, in a very real way, as much as I'm making light of that a little bit, my, my hope this morning is that we would actually be able to hear God's love even through the things that he says that he hates. Because that's exactly what he's doing. It's exactly what he's doing. The problem is, this world we live in, the problem is our own hearts and minds are damaged by the results of what we've experienced from others. We're damaged by the consequences of sin and struggle in our own hearts. And so it's really hard for us to understand what love really is and what healthy knows look like, what healthy protection looks like. And so I feel really inadequate this morning to communicate this effectively. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think it's something important that we're going to talk about. Um, it was hard picking and choosing even where to start because on one hand, I, I want to really closely tether God's incredible love for us in the midst of talking about things that he says, hey, I am against this. This is damaging. It's destructive. It's harmful. And so my, my hope this morning is that I don't water down what he would say that he fights against, but that I also wouldn't detach it from his, his father's heart to love us. And so the best thing I can say to you, and the reason we started where we did last week, and, and I realize we're not he, all here every Sunday, but we looked at God's love, and instead of defining it by looking up all the different Bible words for love, because there's a lot, and there's good stuff there, and we'll probably get there in the series, we started by just looking at a father who loved his two sons. And we saw this son that just wanted to take his stuff and run. And we saw the son who just had a bitter kind of hardened heart and stayed at home. And they were both distant from the father's love. And we looked at how that father loved lavishly. He gave all that he had to his sons. And his desire is that they would live in his love, that they would be welcomed home, both of them. And so that's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. Um, I realize we're not all parents um, we, are all, we are all children. We've had parents of some sort or another. And we know inherently that there are things that parents do out of great love for their kids that the kids don't like. <laughs> and so I guess if there is a filter to hear this through, just recognize that we have a loving father who wants to protect us, who wants to heal us, who wants to teach us what healthy life really looks like. And at times, that will challenge us and we won't like it. So you're probably all going, man, like, where is this going? <laughs> all right, so there's my, there's my preemptive kind of thing. So last week, we began this series called Love and Hate. Um, I, I mentioned that it could have just as easily have been called Light and Dark. We'll see some of that this morning as to why I felt that way. Um, but I, I feel like Love and Hate is kind of where we needed to land. It really captures where we're going. And so what we're going to look at this morning is hate defined, hate defended, and hate defeated. Defined, defended, and defeated. And hopefully that will all make sense um, when we get into this. This is, this is very different than last week. If last week was more of a story and just a larger, a larger concept, kind of one big thought, this morning is going to be a little more detailed. If you're a note taker, you may want to do that. If you're not, we post the notes and the audio. on. He's saying there are some things I feel very strongly about, things that I am opposed to, and here's what they are. Haughty eyes, 
pridefulness, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. See, that's not somebody just accidentally stumbling into something. Devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And finally, one who sows discord among his brothers. There are specific, tangible things that God is opposed to. And he's opposed to them because they're destructive. They misrepresent things. They harm people. They do damage to our own hearts, our own souls. And so God's opposed to specific things. Secondly, God also hates when good and evil are misrepresented. He hates when they're misrepresented. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about this, verses 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. There's that imagery again. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That should be a warning to every generation. It should be a warning to us in our generation. Our culture feels very enlightened and wise in our own eyes. And like we've got this all figured out. And we spend a whole lot of time trying to take concepts and feelings, emotions, ideas that we have, that we feel strongly about, and then make God fit into that mold. Try to take his word and shove it into that. And God says, listen, I've been clear about what I hate. You can read through my word and I will make it clear to you. These are things that I'm against because they're deadly and they're dangerous. And and not only am I against those things, I'm really against when we take, when human beings take something that he has said and twist it. When we represent dark for light and light for dark. The, The reason is people get stuck. They get trapped. I mean, there's a reason why you play hide-and-go-seek in the dark. It's a lot harder to be found. It's a lot easier to stay hidden. You can't see things clearly. Um, I've used this story before over the years, and it has just stayed with me. I had this moment as a kid where I was in my room one night, and I don't remember how old I was, probably in the 7-8 range, somewhere in there. And I remember at some point in the middle of the night, looking over by the closet door and like there was a person standing there. Like in my mind, there is a person in the room. Like I see the head, like I see the figure and I am, I'm terrified. Logic goes out the window in that moment. That's all I can see. And then my mind is filling in the gaps of what I can't see. And I was like in terror. It felt like all night as a kid, it was probably three minutes and then I fell back asleep. But I just felt terrified. I remember like doing that thing you do as a kid, right? Where if they can't see me, I'm, I'm all right. And so I remember like pulling the blanket up over my head and just sleeping like that. Anybody have like a kind of a scary memory like that as a child? And I can remember waking up the next morning and realizing there was a hoodie hanging over the door. And it was just, it was just the hood hanging there. But in my mind at night, man, it appeared like there was a guy in my room that was going to get me. And I was terrified. When we do great harm to people, when we allow what is dark to be called light and what is light to be called dark. People stay locked up and in bondage. 
when there's that lack of clarity. God's desire is to bring clarity. And it's in the light where we experience freedom, healing, where we have a clear path to walk. God's desire for us is to live free and healthy and whole. But we have to come out of the dark and into the light to be there. And we have no hope of stepping into the light if we're misrepresenting what's dark and what's light. Does that make sense? We're going to talk more specifically over the weeks to come about very real things happening within the church, happening within our culture, and even lies as just selfish individuals that we buy into believing things that are not accurate about who God is and what he has for us and what's okay and what's not okay for us. And we're going to spend some time talking about those specific things as we move forward. But God hates the misrepresentation of good and evil because it rips us off. So there's specific things he's against. He's against the misrepresentation of good and evil. And then finally, the third thing, he hates the misrepresentation of our lives, otherwise known as hypocrisy. He hates that. Matthew chapter 23. This passage is actually in Luke and several of the other Gospels. Um, You know, those poor Pharisees, like, they took it on the chin from Jesus on a pretty regular basis. If we just stopped and made a list of all the things he had to say about them, it makes a little more sense that they plotted to kill the guy. Um, And I'm just giving you a snippet of this. Almost the entire chapter of Matthew 23 is just filled with stuff Jesus saying, this is wrong about you Pharisees. But almost all of it is based around this idea. Verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's against that. And I think he's against it for two reasons. Number one One of the biggest problems with hypocrisy is that we lie to ourselves. We start to believe our own false narrative. We trick ourselves into thinking we're okay. And then as we buy into that, we become more and more dead inside and we almost can't be convicted anymore of sin because our, our, our heart has been so insulated against it. We think we're all right. Sometimes hypocrisy is being scared of being found out and keeping stuff secret. But a lot of times it's a deeper belief that everything's okay. The Pharisees didn't walk around thinking, man, we're really crummy guys and we can't let anybody see that. They were like popping the collar. They're like, we're good and y'all need to measure up. And that's the second reason hypocrisy is so dangerous. Because it seeps into the places where we have influence and it doesn't only do damage in our own heart and life, it does damage in our generation. It does damage in the lives of those that we impact. Now, that's, that is a dangerous road to walk. Whether you're a leader of a big company or a pastor of a church, it's dangerous if you just have some friends who hang out with you. We all have people that we influence. And when we misrepresent ourselves, we begin to heap burdens on other people. They start looking around going, I can't, I can't live up to that because we're unwilling to be real and honest to receive healing ourselves and to shine a light for others where they can, we can go, hey, I, like I once walked in darkness 
And I still struggle and stumble and fall, but Jesus is awesome. And he loves me enough to forgive and to cleanse me. And I get to step into new places of light and hope and freedom. And so God hates hypocrisy because it rips us off and it rips off others around us. Is this making sense? Y'all see this? I love this quote by Tim Keller. He said, the problem with the world is it blames problems on things besides sin and identifies salvation on things besides God. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. It boils down to sin. Listen, if we were just to break it down, if it's a physical problem, like if I, if I have something physically wrong with me that I'm dealing with, it's a result of my fallen nature. My body breaks down as a result of sin. If I have emotional or mental damage in my life because of things that have been done to me, it may not be my sin, but it was somebody else's, and I need healing. And God wants to provide that. And if it's my own sin and my own struggles that are doing damage in my life and harming other people, see, if we would just step back and be honest about the fact that the problems, the issues are related to one of these three categories, things God says he's against, misrepresentation of what's good and evil, or hypocrisy, if we would realize that and go, God, you're the solution, I need you. There's life, there's healing, there's freedom. But as long as we, we mask ourselves from the truth, we can't step into that. And see, that's one of the dangers of our, our culture today is we're finding all kinds of other things to blame all the problems on. And we're actually causing people to be unable to be healed and set free because we're not being honest about the truth of how we're made free. You know, one of the defining characteristics that made Jesus so unique that made him the son of God that he is, that made him our savior, our Messiah. One of the characteristics is that he had a proper understanding of love and hate. In Hebrews chapter one, the writer is, is kind of introducing this, this picture of who the son is. And he's setting the scene for this great high priest that we have in Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine, he writes and he says, but of the son, he says, your throne, and he's actually referencing an Old Testament scripture here, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Look at verse nine. For you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Do y'all see the picture there? Jesus fully comprehends. This is a scripture talking about him. He fully comprehends right and wrong. He loves what's right and he hates what's wicked. And as a result of that, he experiences what's called there the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Jesus experienced a level of joy even as he walked this earth. I mean, there are so many things to look at in Jesus' life that you would say, I'm guessing he's not having a lot of joy in that moment. But because Jesus rightly divided and rightly placed his love and his hate where it belonged, he experienced a gladness that was unique above all others. And that's really good news for us because he shares with us his inheritance. In Christ, this is available to me. I can be defined as a person who experiences, like, like oil, 
you know, whenever I read, I've always wrestled with this. Oil is meant to be this really cool picture in scripture of like oil being poured over us or the oil running down from Aaron's beard. And honestly, like I hear stuff and I'm like grossed out. I'm like, oh man, that just sounds like sticky and gross. And I mean, I'm one of those guys like I shower minimum once a day. I like a shower in the morning, a shower. And I hate feeling oily. I hate that. Like it just sounds gross to me. But that idea of just being fully covered, you almost can't get away from it. He's saying, I want to pour out in such a powerful way that it sticks to you, this gladness that will be unique amongst everybody else around you. In me, you can experience that. And so the reason this is so important for us to step into is realizing if we will let the Lord teach us what to love and how to love and what to hate and how to hate it, If we will learn those things from him, we will learn a healthy, joy-filled way to live. That's what's available to us, healthy living in him. Okay, I want to wrap up this section here um, with a familiar verse to us, but I hope we'll hear it in a fresh way. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. The only way for us to, to truly get a sense of what God means when he says he hates things. The only way for us to get a true sense of the proper definition and use for hate is to recognize it as an expression of God's divine love. John 3, verses 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We see four simple things here. God's love. Even as he's defining that there's some dangerous things and there's judgment, we see his love. He sent his son to save us. It cost him everything. Kind of ties into what we talked about last week, that lavish, prodigal, just give it all away kind of love that he has. Secondly, we see God's son. He's not here to condemn us. He's not here to do that. In fact, what this is actually teaching us is that God does not hate us and therefore judge us. Our condition is that we already stand condemned. The world that we live in, our broken sin nature, we stand in that place of being condemned. Jesus came to undo that, to break the power of that and move us into his kingdom. And so God says, you want to know what judgment really is all about? Here it is. You guys prefer the dark. That's the real issue. Don't make this about my judgment on you. Now, I'm not diminishing that there isn't wrath coming and that there isn't hell. I'm not undoing any of that. I'm just saying God points to Jesus and said, I have made everything available for your healing. I've made it available for you to experience my love. Judgment comes as a result of you preferring darkness over light. And and the way for us to live right and healthy in this world for this world is to hate the same things God hates so we can paint a clear picture of dark and light. 
If we make it clear what's wrong and clear what's right. If we make it obvious what is dark and what is light and not let it all get jumbled up. And then if we live honest and open lives ourselves, then people can have a true opportunity to see God for who he says he is and make a decision. Am I going to love the dark or am I going to love the light? But when we misrepresent, we do damage, grave damage. And we, we, the, the cultural moment that we are living in is a direct consequence of the church's inability to do this right. We have watered down or we have ramped up the hate to a degree God never communicated. We let ourselves, whether we're doing it or it's received this way, be viewed as hating sinners. That was never God's heart. He loved the whole world. His desire is that no one, no one would be condemned. That's his heart. That's his desire. So, number three, how do we walk this out? Y'all good? You with me? This is, kind of a, this is kind of a heavy message, isn't it? Y'all doing good? Okay. All right, number three. So, what should we hate? What should we hate? And so this is our section. We said hate defined, hate defended. Now we're talking about hate defeated. Hate defeated. The reason why it's hate defeated is that I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now, I love that song we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. It's a great song. But that verse is actually, I'm no longer a slave to sin. That's what sets me free. And so what do I hate? Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, where? In you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What should I hate? My own sin. And I should hate it with an aggression that is a lot like killing something. See, the more I recognize how much God loves me and how much he wants what's right for me, then I will begin to see my own sin through the same lens he has and I'll realize its destructive nature at work within me and I'll want it gone. I don't want just my guilty conscience appeased. I want to be free. I don't want to just walk through this life going, God, forgive me for that one and forgive me for that one and just kind of keep dealing with the, the conscious. I want to be free of sin. And so there is, there is a, a miraculous transaction that takes place when we receive Jesus where we're moved from dark to light and we're his and we belong to him. But there's a reason why a lot of the New Testament is committed to defining that salvation is both a decision and it's something we walk out. I'm not earning it. I'm being made new. I'm being transformed. The Bible uses the word sanctified. And the way that takes place in my life is not passive. Now, he does the work but I got to get real about the work that needs to be done. God, would you come in and would you do what I can't? God, this sin is in me and it's real and it's destructive and God, it, it breaks my heart and will you come cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Would you break the chains of this thing I struggle with? God, I so aggressively want my this gone. I want to see it dead in my life. 
He goes on and continues, verses 7 and 9. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Look at the first three on the list. Anger, wrath, malice. Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. See, I shouldn't use hatred of sin as an excuse to turn around and walk in anger, wrath, and malice. It's like the the next thing he says, because he knows what we're capable of. The minute I'm told there's a good reason to have hate and to start aggressively dealing with sin, some of us get a little bit too excited at the opportunity we now have to help some other people. We do. We do. I mean, it's easy to, to, to think of, here's the people I know that do that, but like, we are capable of that. I am capable of that. And so the very next thing out of his mouth is, hey, let's put this all to rest and let's actually start with anger and wrath and malice. Let's deal with that. Don't use this idea of hate to then, to then turn around and start hating on others. No, eradicate this in your own heart and life. Let me deal with this. Let me do surgery is what he's saying. I, I love this, a little bit of a long quote, but I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's about this concept of, of hating the sin and not the sinner and how we do this. This is from his book, Mere Christianity. I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago, that I must hate a bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man. Or as they would say, hate the sin, but not the sinner. I used to think this a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all of my life, namely myself. However much I might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did those things. See, it's already at work within us. I guard, I protect, I love myself in spite of my junk. How are we told to love others? the way we love ourselves. Love God in a unique way with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love the people around you the way you love yourself. If I cared deeply about others around me, I'd be devastated about the effect of sin in their life and I wouldn't have an ounce of hate for them. I'd be filled with deep compassion, a desire to see them healed and set free as well. And then I could live out what we just talked about, being real and honest in my life giving a clear picture of what's dark and light, but loving the person. Jude talks about this in his his book, his one-chapter book, in verses 21 through 23. He said, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt, and save others by snatching them out of the fire, To others show mercy with fear or like a sense of reverence, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He's saying, I should have so much love and compassion for others that I'm helping rescue them out of sin. And yet I'm also so consciously aware of the effect of sin that I'm not going to let that get on me. 
I'm not going to so associate with sinners that I start looking like them and living like them, but I'm going to desperately love them and be about rescuing them. That's Jesus. He got accused all the time of hanging out with sinners too much. Did he ever sin? No. He could be with sinners. They wanted to be with him, and yet he stayed removed from the stain of sin. That's what God's calling us to, to have that kind of heart for others. I want to close with this verse. If, if, if none of the rest of this you're able to kind of grab hold of and hold on to, um, there's a path forward for us. I believe a really key verse that we can just kind of cling to is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It tells us how to walk out these two simple ideas of hating the sin that's in me and loving others around me. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That word abhor, this is the only time in the New Testament it shows up. It is like the strongest word for hate you can use. And it shows up in this one verse. And the idea of the word is to detest utterly or literally to detest with horror. Like horrified that something would get on you or be a part of you. And it's used here to say abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. I want to abhor that thing that could destroy me and instead cling to what is good. And then what do I do outwardly? I love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That is more challenging than you might think at first glance. Our tendency is wait till some honor gets bestowed on us. That person's now done enough where I'll give some back. We kind of run things through that filter. Who's deserving of that honor? We may not have that much of a conscious thought about it, but we do it. I honor the people that feel like they're worthy of that honor. I I honor them with my time or my attention or my patience or my love because they've earned it. No, you should already be trying to do more than other people around you. If there's somebody in your life that's not honoring you very much, perfect. You'll be able to definitely outdo them. Go for it. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and let's love one another well. As we move forward in this series, um, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks now kind of transitioning from these definitions of love and hate to talking about how do I walk this out in my own heart first in my relationship with the Lord? How do I walk out dealing with my sin and confession and repentance? And then after a week or two maybe of camping there, we're going to start moving towards how do we walk this out with others well, representing love and hate accurately? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you love us so much that you want to fight for us. You want to defend us. You want to save us from the junk that is in this world. And God, you want to root out the stuff within us that would destroy and rip us off. God, I thank you that you love us with a passionate, aggressive love. Thank you that you chasten those you love. God, help us when we, when we um, see you highlighting something in our life to hear it for what it is. A God who loves us and is willing our good, who wants good for us. God, help us not to live lives of hypocrisy. God, help us to clearly define what is light and dark for ourselves and for others. And God, help us to just be real and honest about the things you've clearly said that are damaging. 
God, may we learn to abhor them and cling to you. Jesus, we thank you that in you, there is this anointing of gladness and joy that comes from learning from you how to love what is right and hate what is wrong. Jesus, we need you. We're trusting you. We thank you that you're the hope of the world. God, do this in our hearts, and may we be a vehicle of this for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.